You know, have you ever been around someone that just exudes authority the moment they step in a room? You know, you can think of that CEO that probably was the quarterback of their high school team and has just never forgotten that they're the quarterback of everything that they do. They're not necessarily a good team player, but in the very least, everyone on the team knows who's in charge the minute they walk in the room. We can imagine that. We all know what that type of personality is like. But you know, there's also other ways of carrying authority. You know, many of us have been captured uh, by the authority of Mother Teresa, right? A kindness, a gentleness, a conviction to love the marginalized and love the needy. That can also reveal a profound authority that no one can question, You know, I feel this every time I'm around a Rwandan bishop. I've had the privilege of meeting a number of them. And every time I'm around a Rwandan bishop, I feel about that big. Not because they're doing anything in particular to make me feel small. In fact, they normally make me feel like the most interesting person they've ever met. But their strength, their authority, their kindness, their even often their meekness reveals a profound authority that no one can deny. In each of our lives, we can tell stories of people that the minute they walk in a room, we feel the weight of their presence. And it's interesting because it's often carried in very different ways. It's not uniform or almost never it's uniform. Well, today as we continue in our series through Emmanuel, God with us, I wanna look at the authority of Emmanuel. The first week we looked at the salvation of Emmanuel, that God is with us and God is for us, bringing us into life. Last week, Kyle uh, preached on the revelation of Emmanuel, that in Emmanuel, God with us, we don't get, you know, kind of off-brand God, right? Kind of a diminished God. We get God as he actually is in himself, revealing himself to his people. And this week, I want to look particularly at the at the story of Mary, but recognizing all of the stories in which Emmanuel proclaims he is coming through his prophets, the angels. I recently read Martin Luther's Christmas homily. And in it, I love it. He says that the angels are preachers of the gospel. That just as when a sermon is preached rightly, it is a word from God to God's people, the angels are proclaiming a message that doesn't come from an angel. It comes from the pre-incarnate Emmanuel himself. And whenever Emmanuel speaks through his prophets, the angels, he speaks in absolute authority, whether it's to Joseph or the shepherds or Mary herself. He immediately commands authority, reverent fear, and an obedient response. Today, I want to zoom in on the story of Mary uh, because I think we Protestants often don't talk enough about Mary and the great hero of the faith that she is. And I I want to first look at Emmanuel's authority is always first revealed in his grace, God comes to us in authority, but that authority is first proclaimed with his divine favor. And then second, I want to look at Mary's response, her invitation to consent to God's will to her life, even when most likely she was being invited into a life of being misunderstood, rejected, and even abandoned. 
Because what do we know Joseph's plan was before the angel told him not to do it? He was planning on leaving her. The invitation to bear the very son of God was an invitation on Mary's part to a life of rejection. And yet her heart was moved to say yes because of God's first act of grace. So if you would turn with me to Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also received or conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, some of you remember that two weeks ago when we talked about the salvation of Emmanuel, we looked at this guy named Abraham. That the great story of God being for us and with us finds its grounding and roots in what's called the covenant of grace. The covenant that God made with Abraham is a perfect act of his unilateral authoritative choice to extend favor to Abraham. Abraham had nothing special about him. He had no, no future necessarily because he and Sarah, Abram and Sarai at the time, they couldn't have a child. He entered into what the ancient world would consider a tragedy, not people that you would envy people that you would actually extend pity towards, people that you would, you know, in, in your better moments say, oh, poor Abram and Sarai. God just doesn't seem to look upon them with favor. They don't have a child. They don't have an heir. They don't have a future. And yet these are precisely the ones that God breaks in upon and says, I will be with you. I will be for you. He says, I will be your God and you and your children, you will be my people. We see that in order for the good news of God with us to be good news, God has to first be for us. Because remember, if you were here and many of you weren't because sickness is just wreaking havoc all over our city. But if you were here and you heard it, you remember, it's not good news if somebody is with you and not for you, especially if they're powerful. You can think about it, you know, in terms of the family relative, that you really don't want to see at Christmas. It's not good news that they're with you. You could think about it as if you're, you know, uh, guilty and before a judge, it is not good news that they're with you if they're not for you. But the good news of the gospel is God has chosen to be with us in a posture of being for us. And that's revealed in the unilateral covenant of grace 
that he, God gave to Abraham. And it's interesting. It's interesting. The story of Joseph and Mary looks surprisingly similar to the story of Abraham and Sarah. Some might even say God intended it. Some might even say God's the greatest author that's ever lived. And if we read the Bible as one whole book, we start to see his threads that he is weaving to reveal himself and to reveal to us who we are. Who is Joseph and who is Mary? They're, you know, they're under Roman subjugation to the point that they have to travel across the country just for some goofy census. If you feel like doing your taxes is overly you know, difficult, and it feels like it is, to be fair, you probably don't have to walk across, across a country while you're pregnant just to make some Roman bureaucrat feel good about himself, okay? They are not powerful people. In fact, they are most likely poor. We don't know that particularly about them, but they're definitely not rich. They're young, which in the ancient world signified a lower social status. And Mary is a woman, which signified an even lower social status. And she's an unmarried woman, which signified an even lower social status. You know, if God, you know, Emmanuel, the pre-incarnate Emmanuel was going to go, you know, shop around and say, ah, these will be the people I want to have me. These are the people I want to, you know, bear me. You know, if he was going to have, you know, a, a, a cosmic, you know, Jerusalem or Israel idol, you know, like the American idol and say, okay, who's going to be my best choice that I pick to be my parents? It is not Mary and Joseph. They are simply ordinary people like Abraham and Sarah, that God chooses to extend his favor toward. And we see this in verse 28. When the angel comes upon Mary, he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This word, O favored one, is kekaraitomene. Uh, uh, kekaraitomene. Yeah, that's how you say it. Kekaraitomene. You see the kara in there? That's the word grace. Now, the Latin Vulgate, translated by Jerome, translated that phrase, full of grace, right? You might know that, Hail Mary, full of grace, right? And that later became a, an understanding of Mary as being a receptacle of grace, someone that was full of grace in her personhood. And if you asked her, she might give you some of that grace, now, it was interestingly enough, it was not the Protestants that said that's a false translation of the text. It was actually the Roman Catholic Erasmus of Rotterdam, who outside of Erasmus of Rotterdam, there wouldn't have been a Protestant Reformation, by the way. He just didn't join it. But that's neither here nor there. What he pointed out was basically this. It's not saying that Mary has grace in herself. What, what the angel is saying is that grace is so showered upon this woman that she is filled with God's grace. She is the one who is highly favored. She is the one who has been given a gift that most of us can't even imagine or fathom to carry Emmanuel in her womb, to give birth to Emmanuel, to raise Emmanuel, to see his earthly ministry, and yes, even to suffer seeing him crucified on the cross and yet to celebrate the gift of his resurrection three days later. Mary is one who God reveals his authority to, to by showering her with his grace. God's authority is always first built upon the fact that he chooses to give grace to those 
he chooses to love. But here's what human beings do. And it's interesting. There's a long interpretive tradition for both Mary and Abraham to create extra biblical narratives as to why they were chosen. Because the human heart always wants to say, God must choose based on merit. He must say, that one's particularly good, so I'll shower them with grace. That one's particularly favorable, so I'll give them all of my, you know, my favor. And we see it with Abraham. So the Abraham story is actually incredibly complicated in the early Jewish mind. Because in the early Jewish mind, particularly, you know, this is what Paul is railing against and Jesus is railing against against the Pharisees, is the idea, and it's a human idea, that God loves those that are lovable, that God loves those that keep his law, that God loves those that are particularly righteous. And so it's interesting, Abraham is a complication with that because Abraham is loved, Abraham is chosen before the law is given. Abraham happens before Moses. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter four. What do you do with Abraham? There's no law for him to keep, to look righteous, so God favors him. He just favors him. And so there was a guy named Philo of Alexandria. And, you know, Philo wrote this kind of extra biblical narrative as to how great Abraham was, how awesome Abraham was, and that's why God favored him. You know, sadly, we've done the same thing with Mary, and I'm not going to critique other theological traditions. But often what we do is we try to create stories about why God would have chosen Mary. But here's actually what Mary says about it. Here's her story. Look at the Magnificat with me, Luke 1, 46 through 55. What you'll see is not a story of her perfection. What you'll see is a story of her recognition that she is lowly, and yet God chose to love her. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we have. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he sp- as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What? What does Mary say about her story? She's humble. She's hungry. She's empty. And yet God chose to reveal his strength in her, to reveal his power in her, to reveal his abundance through her. She is a story of God's grace as a continuation of the story of Abraham, that God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chooses the hungry to reveal that he doesn't choose the decadent. He chooses those who recognize that they are not choosable. So often what the devil wants to do in your life is put a magnifying glass over all of those things in your life that you say, this is why God probably maybe tolerates me, but doesn't love me. 
This is why God maybe doesn't hate me, but he's definitely not excited I'm one of his children. And what we need to do is look at the story of Abraham, look at the story of the Apostle Paul, and look at the story of Mary and recognize that God does not choose us based upon some great gift that we carry within ourselves, but purely as an act of his authoritative grace. Those are the moments where you have to recognize that all the disappointments you carry in yourself, the Father doesn't carry those disappointments in you. All the stories that you try to tell yourself of why you need to create yourself to be this person that God can love. God says, I chose to love you when you were empty, when you were hungry, when you were weak, and I still choose to love you when you're empty, when you're hungry, and when you're weak. This is a story that Mary shows us, God's profound kindness not to the strong and to the capable, but to the weak, the forgotten, the marginalized, to you and to me. And the work of the gospel, the work of the spirit in our lives is continuing to call us back to this reality that yes, God chose to indwell Mary by his presence in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's chosen to indwell you by the power of his Holy Spirit. That level of grace that's extended to Mary is the same level of grace that's extended to you when the Lord Jesus Christ has chosen to take up his residence upon the very throne of your heart. What we see is that Emmanuel's authority is always led by his grace. His authority of being over us is built upon his choice to be for us. This is the story of Mary, and this is your story and mine. But it's not the end of Mary's story. God's authoritative action of grace leads Mary to a life of humble obedience. So often what we are told is that if we preach too much grace, then it will lead to license. It will lead to us being like, well, God loves me, so it doesn't matter. But that's never the ordering of scripture. Rather, The ordering of scripture is you are God's favored one. And then how does Mary respond? Luke 138, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. There is no more concise and beautiful image of what a life yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ looks like. A life fully in submission to what God wills for her, a life of consent to God's authority. You know, we talked about this a little bit, but Mary is given this great gift of of bearing Emmanuel, God with us, but it's a gift that comes at a profound cost. Mothers, you know the cost of just the physical toll of having children, but we also have to remember too, like I communicated, Joseph plans on leaving her right? She's given the promise and she's given the child. But then later the angel goes to Joseph and says, hey, don't leave your wife. In fact, you need to raise this child with her. This is Emmanuel. Surely in the community, people can do the basic math and say, hey, Joseph and Mary were married three months ago. 
and the baby got born three weeks ago, uh, something's off here. And Joseph's been sulking around a lot. So what we can basically put together is maybe this wasn't actually his kid. And you know, the ancient world communities are pretty tight. And moral codes are strictly enforced. So what Mary is being invited into is a life of suspicion, potentially rejection, and being labeled a sinner. And yet, what is her response? What is her response? Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Family, many of you are concerned that as our world is increasingly secularized and increasingly hostile to Christianity, that maybe, just maybe, there might be a cost to your discipleship. There might be a loss of social status to follow the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There might be those in your office that believe, in fact, you are a regressive sinner for following Jesus Christ. There may be those who think less of you and gossip about you behind your back for following Jesus Christ. And the reality is this. God never promises us that following him won't come at a cost to our reputation. In fact, he promises us that it will come at a cost to our reputation. It will come with a loss of social status. It will come at a place where we have to say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Because we are first given the far greater gift that God has proclaimed that he is for us. He will never forsake us. He won't leave us. And therefore, we can tolerate, we can accept, we can receive the rejection of the world. And this is a story that Mary lived. We don't know. It's not all filled in, but we can understand human nature. We can understand what it's like to live in community. In fact, we probably actually don't understand the weight of a shame honor culture that Mary lived within. For her to consent to the lordship of Christ came at the cost of her understanding of what her life would have been. She was going to get married to this guy, Joseph, and their life was going to be great. And yet, what did she consent to? Raising a perfect child, which must have been difficult, and seeing that perfect child nailed to a cross. And saying, God, this was part of what you called me to. Is this what you called me to? This great gift that you gave me feels like a curse. And yet, the life of Mary was a life of consent. To say, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. You know, some of us have been reading Jacques Philippe's book, Interior Freedom. If you haven't read it, I've brought it up a bunch. I love it. But he talks about, you know, how we engage hardship in life. Is we often have three ways of responding to it. We can rebel against it. We can curse God. God, I thought you were for me. Why'd you give me this hardship? We can resign ourselves to it, which is to be a cosmic Eeyore, you know, oh, I'm just kind of, that's just my role. God, I'm God's punching bag. Or there's consent to say, yes, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. 
yes, Lord, I will carry this cross that you give me. Yes, Lord, you have always been for me. How could I doubt that you're for me even in this trial? And what that does is it helps reframe hardship in our lives. To see it as, as a reality that God hasn't left us, he hasn't forsaken us, he hasn't turned his back on us, he is carrying us even through the hardships that we face. You know, I have this, I, you know, and as my kids get older, I'm gonna have to probably stop using so many illustrations about them for their sake. Um, but as they're still young, I can communicate some of them. Is I'm a lot more introverted than you guys know. I was raised in the countryside with two very busy and uh, driven parents. So I got a lot of time by myself. And I married an extroverted wife and I have a very extroverted son. And my son refuses to allow me to enter into my own head. He refuses to give me an inch of mental space to myself until he goes to bed. And often I say, God, why didn't you give me a quiet, compliant kid who knows how to read and can just leave me alone? And I know it sounds like such a little thing, but you got to know, like, this is really hard for me. And it's like, I go into a rage and I get like, learn how to play by yourself. I've, I've said that, you know, play by yourself. And... And then I feel guilty and, you know, parenting, right? But here's what would have happened had I had a compliant, introverted child. I would have carried on the tradition of suits men that were absent and emotionally unpresent fathers. And God didn't give me that choice. He didn't give it to me. And so often in our lives, we have these burdens that we carry. And we're like, God, why'd you give that to me? I can't carry that. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's your chronic health. Maybe it's your child that's walked away from the faith. Maybe it's suffering that you feel or the worry that you feel, whatever it might be. I don't know why God gave you the burden that he gave you. But here's the truth. He is still for you. And because he is for us, we can have the heart of Mary to consent to his will in our lives and open up our eyes to say, God, why? Why are you carrying me through this? God, why, why, why are you giving me this hardship that I must carry? And he might not give you an answer. It's actually not promised. There is no promise given for an answer. There's simply a promise that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And therefore, you can consent to his will. This is the story of Mary. This is why we actually need to recapture Mary as a great hero of the faith. Because she reveals a life that shows God's authoritative grace extended to one who had nothing in themselves to receive it. But God's kindness is showered upon her. And her only fitting response her only fitting response is, let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that, that you would give us the heart of Mary to see your grace, your kindness, your generosity, and proclaim, let it be to me according to your word with whatever we might face. Lord, you are good. You have never forgotten us. You will never leave us. You are Emmanuel, God, with us. Lord, would we keep our eyes on that 
all of our days. To the glory of your name, Lord. Amen.